0: as consumers when we have two seemingly equal companies, those are the types of things that we're actually gonna look for to differentiate between the two.
1: Show off to stand out. Put it all on social media. Happy employees and community involvement send strong signals that your firm is the right one for the job.
0: People wanna see results, of course, but I think what they wanna see too is how are you treating your team? Because I think it indicates who you are as a business owner and how you're gonna treat your clients, how you're treating your employees.
1: Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the preeminent personal injury marketing agency. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple or Spotify and pound that five-star review button. And if you don't like what you hear, tell me about it in a one-star review. I got a big hug for all my haters too. Each week we talk to the best in the legal industry. Ready to dominate your market? Let's go. In 2020, Jacqueline Bertel took over as CEO of Nevada-based Bighorn Law. Her first week in office, Nevada declared a state of emergency. Everything shut down. When the pandemic hit, she got to work. She chose to lead with intention and transparency. The result is a strong team and a thriving practice. Under her guidance in 2022, the firm resolved over 400 cases and recovered over $50 million. She offers her insights on grassroots and digital marketing, how to create a robust company culture, and why delegation is what you need to grow. Here's Jacqueline Bretel, CEO at Bighorn Law.
0: When I was um, 11 years old, I got really tired of kids' books and anything that I like was in my library, I had deemed, of course, a kid's book. And so I went to my dad and I asked him for a real book and he gave me a copy of John Grisham's The Chamber. It's a pretty awful, Story and really gut-wrenching story about the death penalty. But I read it front to back, probably only understood about half of it. But from that moment forward, I wanted to be a lawyer. And so that's what kind of led me in this direction.
1: Then you have like that that peak of the mountain where you know where you're heading. So then it was just very intentional going to school, going to law school. And and tell me, jumping way ahead, because I because I know you have a tremendous amount of experience, and you've now been at Bighorn Law for coming up on a decade and you've been boots on the ground as an associate, a manager. Now you're top dog. <laughs> so so tell me about that journey and, and that story.
0: You know, of course, I thought in my career I'd want to be a criminal defense lawyer. That really changed. You know, I had some experiences in my life that led me towards personal injury. So I was in law school when the recession happened That was a unique experience in and of itself because there weren't a lot of jobs out there. And so when I graduated from law school, which I went to law school in Macon, Georgia, I had a job offer with an insurance defense firm in Las Vegas. The owner of the firm was actually a Mercer alum, which is where I went to law school started my career, two and a half years insurance defense, which like I was not cut out to do and switched over. And I actually joined Bighorn Law straight from that insurance defense firm. So I joined in October of 2013. This is going to almost 10 years now. And I started as an associate attorney and I was a trial lawyer. Um, I did some trial work. I did tons, you know, hundreds, if not probably thousand depositions, all of that kind of boots on the ground, really nitty gritty legal work. Um, and I loved it. And what happened was in 2018, I actually started to lose my ability to hear. I have a genetic condition. I had no idea, of course, that I had that, but it starts to present around age 30. Um, I was 30 in 2018, going on 31. And so, you know, I had to pivot at that point. And so I ended up um, not litigating as much and I slowly started stepping into management roles. And then on March 11th, 2020, the day before they declared the pandemic a state of emergency in Nevada, I was named as CEO of our firm.
1: Okay, so we have to talk about that. No,
0: we have so many things. I mean, so we can unpack all that.
1: What, a, uh, what a, an interesting time to just throw you to the fire, so to speak. Yeah. Tell me your approach because I, I think it's interesting to everyone had a strategy going into this time and and now here you are, you're the CEO, you're the visionary, you're the one casting the direction for everyone. So how did you approach that and, and just look at big picture like what you were going to do as a firm?
0: you have to kind of look at first just how that first week went because it really set the tone for the rest of my experience. So um, I became CEO. it It was a Wednesday night. Thursday morning, I woke up, which would have been March 12th. And I actually drove to Barnes & Noble and I bought like $300 of books on how to be a CEO because I had no idea how to do that. You know, I was a trained litigator. And um, I thought, okay, I need to figure this out. And that's, of course, as lawyers, we read and we study and we figure stuff out. And then, you know, a few hours later, our governor declared it a state of emergency. The next day, our courts closed for 30 days. That would have been March 13th, Friday the 13th. So Monday, we went fully remote Tuesday, the entire state closed for 30 days. And then on Wednesday, there was an earthquake in Salt Lake City that actually caused really significant damage to my office in Salt Lake City. And so that was my first week as CEO.
1: Unreal.
0: And Chris, I approached it as if this is what's going to happen, my first like, it's only going up from here. Like it can only get better. I will tell you, it didn't. It actually got worse in quite a few different places. But So I would say the first year, my first, you know, 2020, I was doing what so many people were doing. I was just trying to survive and I was trying to get us through it. I read a book uh, really early on. One of those $300 worth of books I bought from Barnes & Noble was on authentic leadership and it was an HBR series with compilations of essays on authentic leadership. And One of them was talking about being really transparent as a CEO about the conditions and where the firm is going. And so I really took that to heart. We started doing state of the firm drops, video drops, just trying to communicate with our team and give them a clear idea of kind of where the firm was and to give them some hope and direction about where the firm was going. And that was really, really hard because I was captaining a ship and I was also doing that blind. I had no idea where I was going. So 2020 was surviving for me, and 2021 was when I really dug in and said, okay, now I really have to figure out how to be a CEO. So that was when things really started to kind of come together for me, and I really started really intentionally trying to do this job to the best of my abilities.
1: I love the the radical transparency. I think that when people don't know what's going on, they kind of fill it with the worst thoughts in their head, and I think that was a really strong move strategically I'm kind of curious too, cause I'm a huge book nerd and, uh, it's fun. And, and I say this super transparently, like me and my wife, literally last week, we went to Barnes and Noble and we probably spent like 200 bucks. Good. yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, like what were some of those other books that helped with this new role and, and your undertaking?
0: I love HBR's um, top 10 series. So they have, um, on all different subjects, there's a women in leadership, authentic leadership, emotional intelligence series is phenomenal. I read a lot of those. I like them because they're essays, they're peer-reviewed. The other book that was really impactful for the way that I restructured the business in 2021 was Traction by Gina Wickman. I'm a huge traction nerd. Um, I love all of that. And finally, um, Fireproof by Mike Morse was a big, impactful read for me that really caused me to hyper-focus on how I can implement traction within our firm. And so those are probably my top ones, all those HBR books, and then Traction and Fireproof.
1: Fantastic. And we're a traction agency. We've been one for a while. I've read Fireproof. Mike Morse and uh, John Dalgazel are, are fantastic. Let's dig into that. So you got your visionary, you got your integrator. Did you have someone internal that, that kind of rose to the top that, that was kind of the end of your yang in, in terms of that integrator? Or did you have to go out and search for that integrator?
0: I am actually in negotiations with somebody and kind of building that role out. But I know that for me personally, to take the firm into the next step of progress that I want to take, I have to have a true implementer in that role. So even though I am good at it, I can do it. It's really not the best use of my talents. I've got, I need to implement more of these great ideas that I get every day.
1: It's such a hard role to find. Let's talk growth though, because, you know, Bighorn Law is is growing like crazy and, you know. I had Mark Anajar from Anajar Levine, and he was talking about like the holy trinity of marketing for law firms is TV, radio, and digital. What's your approach? What When you think of growth and putting your name out there, how does Bighorn Law approach it?
0: I don't approach it that way, and I will tell you why. I am a little bit anti-TV. I think it's archaic, I think it's expensive, I think that when we're looking at the amount of impressions that we can get for the amount of dollars spent, it doesn't make sense to me. And I think that you have to spend so much money and have such an established reputation. And I really truly think that in five years, even the way that that we kind of watch TV now is not going to exist anymore. I think everything is going to be digital. I don't envision us ever spending on traditional television. We also don't spend on traditional billboards. It is a hot and heavy market and competitive market. And I just don't see a path where that really makes sense for us. What I'm not opposed to when we talk about television, I am very open to filming a commercial and putting it on Hulu, putting it on YouTube, putting it on these digital streaming services where you actually have so much more control. Totally. Yeah. I'm on board with that. I think the number one thing that we really focus on are relationships. There are personal injury law firms that really rely heavily on maybe getting cases from one particular medical provider. In Las Vegas, we have really in the last 10 to 15 years changed the conversation where clients don't go to a medical provider, they go to an attorney first. So it makes it really really hard to develop a relationship with a provider where you're getting all your cases from them because they're they're not typically getting unrepped clients. And so while we do have relationships with medical providers, I believe more in relationships in unconventional ways. So for example with you uni- where we provide education and we provide resources. And if they choose to come to us then, because there's a trust relationship that has now been built, that is a great result. But it, you know, if, if they don't, I'm okay with that too. And so how can we build relationships with people in the community so that we are a trusted resource in the community? And I think that if you're looking at people who are looking for an attorney, um, we do very well in building that kind of atmosphere. And so I think it works.
1: If you see a future in video ads, but wanna lower your cost per impression, look at digital. Streaming services could be the best way to reach your clients as watching habits become more fractured. Beyond digital marketing, Jacqueline's philosophy is that you have to build relationships. I'm talking about grassroots marketing, that boots on the ground community building. Jacqueline explains how to tap into your existing networks.
0: I'm a big motorcycle rider. I have great relationships with lots of people in town, but um, I know that I'm going to have more success marketing with female motorcycle riders, which now make up 19% of the motorcycle community. How can I build relationships with them? So one of the things that we did as an example is I made the decision that we were going to start doing motorcycle death cases on a 40 retainer. Meaning if I can resolve it pre-litigation, I'm going to do it pro bono. Um, It's the right thing to do. And I'm going to tell you why is because most of the time in these cases, it's a $25,000 minimum policy. And I just don't feel right taking that from somebody's kids or somebody's family member when they have lost that person. If it's a multi million dollar case, guess what? It's never going to settle in pre-lit anyway. So from an economic sense, I think it's the right thing to do, but it also from a business sense, it makes sense, right? So um, if we are sitting here and we're building relationships within the community, I am riding alongside these women. They know, by the way, I usually get their husbands, their brothers and stuff anyway, because you know, women typically are making these decisions in their family. But I really focused on the female motorcycle riding community. And that was easy for me to do, Chris, because I'm already in that community. And so each one of our attorneys, they have their own community. For example, we have a gentleman who's really big into the rock climbing community. So each year we allocate a portion of our marketing budget towards each one of our attorneys so they can invest in their passion projects. If he wants to invest in sponsoring, for example, the uh, rock climbing community did a film festival. So we um, had Bitcoin. And sponsor that and he was able to use his allocated money for that project. He's then the face of that. He's already in that community. We don't have to be inauthentic about this. That is his community already.
1: That's the perfect word that I was like on the tip of my tongue was authentic. And, you know, I had Dave Thomas from Law Tigers on, and we were digging into his strategy, and he's like, Well, you know, hey we hire motorcycle riders and then they develop relationships with the harley dealers and then they actually go to these events and you're since you're a rider, you're being authentic so you can have these amazing time and, and build these relationships it, i i love that so much and the rock climber gets to do it what they enjoy and it, it's just one of those kind of rising tides where everything kind of has this uh increase in value I, I think that's so smart and also from just a social media perspective which is where digital is going you can get a lot better social media creative. There's nothing worse than if a firm is just showing the reviews and like trying to repurpose a blog and not actually showing the individuals at the firm or in a part of the community.
0: Yep. You're exactly right about that. And I think on social media, you know, it's really interesting because I, you know, I've been on social media since I was 15 years old. So this is, I mean, my husband now, he's 14 years older than me. He's gonna be 50 this year. He's the only person I've ever dated in my life that didn't have a social media presence, ever like he's the only one. And so, you know, that has created lots of very interesting conversations, but social media is so much a part of my life. And I do know that for me, when I'm shopping for a brand or if I'm shopping for a company, I do look at, for example, if I'm on Instagram, I'm going to look at how do they treat their team? Are their employees happy? How do they treat their customers? And are they doing good in the community? Because I think that as consumers, when we have two Seemingly equal companies; those are the types of things that we're actually going to look for to differentiate between the two. If the product is really the same, so I think as as far as marketing on social media for us, how can we show the the things that we are doing in the community, um, which is a little bit hard for us, Chris, because we're pretty humble people. We don't we tend to do stuff and not talk about it. That's just who we are. So forcing us to get out a, lot, a little bit out of our comfort zone and to talk about the things that we're doing in the community, and then also, you know, people want to see results, of course. But I think what they they want to see too, is how are you treating your team? Because I think it indicates who you are as a business owner and how you're going to treat your clients, how you're treating your employees.
1: I had a, a culture topic next. And I want to talk about that because there was a culture that existed when you join and that culture kept you there, right? You love this and you, you rose to the ranks. How are you intentional about the culture and what goes into making the culture so, so robust and powerful?
0: This is near and dear to my heart because I think that when you, you know, especially right now, we're all trying to attract talent, right? And I think that if you want to attract talent, sure, you can throw all the money that you want at them, but they're not going to stay because people, especially when you're looking at Gen Zs and millennials, which is the vast majority of our workforce and legal now, they want a place where they feel valued and where they feel like they're actually doing good. And so I will tell you one of the best things that I loved the most about the firm when I joined, and we still do it is we have a Friday morning meeting. Now, it used to be at 7 a.m. on Fridays when we moved, uh, about two years ago, I moved it to 8 a.m., which was like a big shock for everybody. Um, It's 45 minutes long and we always start off by giving sunshine to each other. It's a firm-wide meeting, everybody's together. And today, for example, we did it, we started at eight and I think it was 8.28 and we only go for 45 minutes and everybody was still giving sunshine. It was, it warms my heart to see somebody from intake giving love to somebody in dispersal and just that public acknowledgement of the things that we're doing. I think our job in legal is really hard and we're dealing with people who are hurt that are not their best selves, who don't feel good. Our clients can sometimes be difficult. We love them, but they can sometimes be difficult. Um, We're dealing with opposing counsel, who we love less, but they can oftentimes be difficult. We're dealing with a lot of deadlines that can be so stressful. And so how can we make this an environment where people still want to come in and where they feel at least satisfaction in the place that they work, even though they're doing this really hard and stressful job? We do have somebody who's in charge of people, for lack of better words. Her exact title is Director of of talent acquisition, people, and culture. So that encompasses definitely HR, but it also encompasses recruiting. And finally, and most importantly, in my opinion, it encompasses the culture and the people and investing in them. Some of the things that we have done really well that I'm really proud of, these were not my ideas. I hired great people and they came up with these ideas. The first one was we developed a social committee. It's a six month term. Um, They have to apply, their their supervisor has to sign off on it. its volunteer basis. And they come up with all of the events that we do for, for the next six months. For example, at Mother's Day, we we did, I think, ice cream Sundays for the whole office, not just the moms. And I think we handed out flowers to all of the moms. For Father's Day, we did um, popcorn where the social committee went around and they handed out bags of popcorn. And they had like little bow ties or something on them. I don't remember exactly. But it allowed me to kind of take that... Off me. I didn't have to be 100% responsible for these little things. And I think when you're starting to look at These little tiny details, it seemed silly, but it actually is very popular with the team and it makes them have something to look forward to and just break up the stress of the day. The second thing that we did was not my idea, it was our CFO's idea, and I thought it was just genius the way that it implemented, but she came up with budgets. They're um, reevaluated every quarter, but we look at the number of people on a team and then their immediate supervisor gets a budget per month per team member. So if they have, I think it's like $40 per month for per team member, And so then they can save it all the way to the end of the quarter and they can blow it all out in one big party or whatever they want to do. But it allows the actual supervisors to then invest in their team so they can use it to take them to lunch, to take them to breakfast. They can do a painting party. And that has really taken the pressure off me as the CEO, because now all of a sudden they are creating loyalty and creating trust within their smaller team. And it's allowed them to create a generation of just happiness within their team and within their structure.
1: I love that it's the six month term because then, you know, someone else can come in with their new ideas and probably the previous uh, members can then assist those individuals. So there's that like kind of bond and teamwork there. I also think it's really smart with the with the budgets for the for your managers. And, you know, it's when someone does a good job, you shouldn't have to go up the ladder to do a simple reward to kudos them. The constant question about HR, and I love that you call it talent, people, and culture is when, you know, so there's different levels of uh, size of companies, size of firms, listings, you know, that where, you know, maybe there's a solo practitioner to a 10 person to a, to a 30, you know, at what point should they consider investing into that position?
0: When I started at at Bighorn, there was only about 10 of us total. And so we didn't have HR, right? The, The two founding partners were HR. And I think that they're There gets a point in the growth where that no longer makes sense. But I think that companies should really look at hiring an outside HR agency, even if it's like on a contract and they're handling one or two things pretty early on. And I say that because we can view, you know, the old school mentality on HR is that it's not good and it's scary. But I think, you know, my generation, I think we're doing a good job of really reevaluating HR. I view HR as an important aspect of employee happiness and of protecting our employees. It would be hard for me to be a personal injury attorney and not also want to protect my employees. Those would not match up, right? That is my job is I protect people. And so I think HR, you know, it is so much more than discipline. It's everything from onboarding and getting your people set up properly. It is making sure that you have policies and procedures that are in place because as a business owner, those policies and procedures are actually going to protect you should anything arise. I think that getting and, and maybe outsourcing with an outside agency think as soon as possible like if you're looking at five employees, six employees, it's probably time to do that. I and mean, it's going to take a lot off you as an owner, but it's so important for your team to have that avenue where they can go and they can make complaints. They can submit time off requests in an unbiased fashion. I think it's important that you establish that really early on if you want to have longevity in your team and retention of your team.
1: If you aren't sure about hiring an HR person, I get it, I've been there, but for us, it's been so beneficial. Shout out to Ashley if you're listening. As your firm grows, you can't run the business and BHR. On that note, we're gonna dive into a topic that I know many of you have a love-hate relationship with, delegation.
0: I definitely have struggled with that Chris over the years. I think like most, I think just most people struggle with delegating. I think that we get it in our head that we're we're like only I can do this task. And I will tell you that every time that I have said, I don't have time to do this. I need to have somebody else do this. I have been so happy that I did it because it turns out they actually do it better than I do. Um, and so I think for me it's intentional. I have to basically wake up each day and say to myself, you will delegate things today. So For example, I'm planning an investiture reception for a new judge who just got sworn in. And um, it's been all on me. And I woke up and I was overwhelmed by it. And I said, all right, then today's the day that I'm just not going to do this anymore. So I sat down with my assistant. I said, here are the 10 things that have to happen. And guess what? She's already done all those things. And so I'm so grateful. By the way, she did so much better than I did. I'm so grateful that I did that. And I think you know, each day I try and do better about it, but it is an intentional thing that I have to make myself do is that delegation because I don't do it naturally. I have a tendency that, you know, I can do anything and I've got all the time in the world. And the reality is that I'm doing a disservice to every other department in our firm if I don't actually delegate things out. The other thing is I have really talented people. I I always say, you know, we only hire unicorns and unicorns are rare. They're unique. They're like you know, you might see one in a hundred thousand if that's, and that's what we hire is they have to be a unicorn. And so if I'm going to sit here and say, I've got all these unicorns here, well, I better use them. (laughs) And I better make sure that I'm giving them and, and, and letting them live up to that talent. And so, um, it's, it's been a, it's been a progress for me. It's not something that comes naturally, Chris, like most people. Um, it's been tough, but I have had to force myself to do it. And I've always been grateful each time that I, that I actually did it.
1: Thank you for your candor. Thank you for the transparency. That's, that's amazing though. What's next for Bighorn Law and where can people go to connect with you?
0: So you can follow me on Instagram or on TikTok at jrb.esq. Um, that is kind of where I post predominantly is on those two platforms. You can also follow the firm at Bighorn Law on both TikTok, um, Instagram or also on Facebook. I think next for us, I really view Bighorn, you know, we focused last year so much on documenting all of our policies and procedures. I'm a big goal setter. So for us this year, um, our overarching big picture goal is we are revamping our customer service department by department with the goal of I want to have the best customer service in the in the country when it comes to a law firm. So when you walk into our office right now, you're going to smell fresh-baked cookies. We bake cookies every single morning. And so our reception will offer you a fresh-baked cookie as soon as you come in, because when you don't feel good, nothing feels better than a, a fresh-baked chocolate chip cookie. Doing that and implementing things like that throughout our entire firm culture, that for us is what's up next. We have a phenomenal team. We're growing. I won't share anything, but I want to be in two more states by the end of this year. And we want to do that because we're really good at what we do, and we know we can help more people. And so we're going to continue our expansion and our growth. We're going to continue hiring amazing people, and we're going to continue doing really good work for our clients because that's what they deserve.
1: Thanks so much to Jacqueline Bertel at Bighorn Law for everything she shared today. Let's hit the pinpoints. Pinpoint number one, build that grassroots community. Do it where you already hang out. Think about your hobbies, clubs, organizations, and passions. Go where you know. Hit the slopes this winter. Chat people up in the chair. Running your thing? Sponsor a 5K. Jacqueline is an avid motorcycle rider and she looks for people like her to represent women who ride.
0: How can I build relationships with them? I am riding alongside these women. I usually get their husbands, their brothers, and stuff anyway because, you know, women typically are making these decisions in their family. But I really focused on the female motorcycle riding community and that was easy for me to do, Chris, because I'm already in that community.
1: Pinpoint number two, your clients are savvy. They know what they want in a brand. They use social media to see if you stack up. You could have the best community events, the happiest app and the best results if you don't put it all on social media. How will anyone hear about it? When shopping for a firm, if two look the same, how will they choose? How would you choose?
0: What they wanna see too is how are you treating your team? Because I think it indicates who you are as a business owner and how you're gonna treat your clients, how you're treating your employees.
1: And to round it out, here's pinpoint number three. Jacqueline shared how to build a robust culture. The little things matter, like going to lunch or getting popcorn on special days. But as your firm grows, the little gestures of appreciation will slip through the cracks. Give that power to your team. They get to build trust with their peers and you get to practice delegation and get some of your time back
0: we're all trying to attract talent, right? Sure, you can throw all the money that you want at them, but they're not gonna stay. Because people, especially when you're looking at Gen Z's and millennials, which is the vast majority of our workforce and legal now, they want a place where they feel valued and where they feel like they're actually doing good.
1: I'm Chris Dreyer. Thanks for listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. If you made it this far, it's time to pay the tax. No, I'm not talking about taking your cash like Big G. I'm asking you for a five star review on Apple or Spotify. Leave me a review and I'll forever be grateful. If this is your first episode, welcome and thanks for hanging out. Come back each week for fresh interviews where you can hear from those making it rain. Now get out there and dominate.